0: Hello, and welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. I'm the co-founder of CoolMomPicks.com. Kristen is off this week, but I'm excited to be joined by a fabulous guest. We're going to talk about all of our burning questions about dun, 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 the college application process, and I'm going to get to do it with one of our favorite recent Spawn guests, Ned Johnson. In fact, you may remember him from one of our recent episodes. He joined us with Dr. William Strew to talk about better parent teen communications. I still refer to that episode all the time. Stick around because I'll be back with Ned for a fascinating discussion after this. Today's episode of Spawned is brought to you by Dell and their Black Friday in July sale. Yes, Black Friday in July. Well, actually starting June 30th. It's especially designed for parents, students, and educators, but anyone with the link dell.com slash coolmomtech has access to our education purchase program membership discounts that you can use towards new computers and accessories. So starting June 30th, 2022, visit dell.com slash coolmomtech. No code needed. All the discounts will be applied right at the URL, and you're going to see some big savings on amazing technology, including new Dell Inspiron laptops, the Inspiron 2-in-1 with tablet functionality, desktop computers, and even their high-end XPS. There are also deals on the kinds of accessories families love, like wireless mouses, Mice? Mouses? I always wonder about that. And extra chargers, because we know how valuable it is to have an extra when you have kids. Dell's widely known for making the most reliable, manageable, and secure PCs in the industry, which is just one more reason this is a terrific time to get your kids ready for back to school or get your family up to speed with some new technology at terrific prices. Visit dell.com slash coolmomtech, again, dell.com slash tech starting June 30th to take advantage of the automatic discounts and other benefits from Dell's Black Friday in July sale. And hey, you can even share the link with family and friends. They don't even have to be teachers or parents. That's dell.com slash cool All right, so let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, Ned Johnson. Ned is an author speaker. He's the founder of Prep Matters, an educational company that provides tutoring, educational planning, and as you might have guessed, colleges and test prep, which is what we're going to talk about today. He's been a professional tutor geek, self-proclaimed in his words, since 1993, making him a battle-tested vet on topics around stress regulation, student anxiety and performance, parent-teen dynamics, and tips to help kids find the motivation to reach their full potential, even when things are tough. He's also the host of the Prep Talks podcast, where you'll find tons of helpful conversations with parenting and education experts. You may have even seen his work in publications like the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and now... He's here to join me to talk about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart and very, very timely. <laughs> Welcome, Ned. Well,
1: thank you, Liz. Gosh, all that it almost sounds like I know stuff. So this will be exciting. I can't wait to see what we come up with. You
0: do know stuff. So <laughs> I have to start off by saying I am deep in the heart of this. And for all of our listeners who are also, I feel you, I see you, I get it. I have a junior who just finished the SATs. We are going on our first college tours this week and interviews. It is all happening. At the same time, my stepdaughter just graduated graduated high school. She's starting off. So I am just fully immersed in this process. And it's overwhelming. (laughs) I
1: have a daughter who just graduated high school this past weekend. And a few weeks ago, I took the SAT. So I'm kind of there where your kids are. I
0: love that you took the SATs. You really have firsthand knowledge of how to help people out with it. So let me ask, is like my overwhelming feeling about all of this a new thing? Because I feel like when I was in high school, I kind of did more of it myself. I even remember going on a tour without my parents. Like, I just don't remember it being this crazy and comprehensive. Is that just my memory?
1: No, you're right. And there's a lot in there. But The two biggest things are that it is numerically much harder to get into certain schools than it used to be, simply because the way college admissions has changed, the current model for colleges is to get as many people as possible to apply to the college so they can reject as many as possible to look as hot.
0: We only accept 5% of applicants. We're a great school.
1: Right. What's the Yogi barra thing? You know, nobody goes there anymore. It's impossible to get in. You're like, wait, you know. <laughs> Yogi Barrett. I mean, I looked this up. I graduated high school in 1988 and just out of curiosity, I said, I wonder what the acceptance rate was at Stanford University. In 1988, it was (gasps) 22.4. Now it might be like closer to 0.4. And so this makes the whole process, you know, we talk about in our book about Sonny Lupien, who says you can summarize what's stressful to people with the acronym of nuts novelty and novelty. And this is new for kids, certainly not in a new world for the parents. Unpredictability. Oh, check. We got that perceived threat. Like, you know, what's on your bumper sticker? Oh yeah. on your car. Yep. And then a low sense of control. And so the whole thing is it's harder and it's more unpredictable for colleges as well. The other piece to it, as you pointed out, is that you kind of did this on your own. It feels, I think so often to parents, just as it is with all things in education, that they have to be deeply involved because this is air quotes, too important to leave to kids. The challenge, of course, is that parents are often being involved because it lowers their stress to feel a higher sense of control, but it's at the expense of their kids. In our second book, well, What Do You Say? We look at the research of a woman named Jessie who about this really clever experiment where she put kids in front of a computer, digital puzzle, told them, you know, do your best. They had parents there, in this case, moms, just for kind of moral support with the only instruction, don't tell your kid what to do. <laughs> and then watch what happened. Well, the puzzle looked easy. It wasn't. So the kids started to get stressed. As they started to get stressed, their heart rates are going up because they have a heart rate monitor. So you can see how they're doing. Hard for moms to sit there watching the kid be stressed and be told not to help. Their stress keeps going up. And eventually they jump in and take control. They feel better. Their heart rate goes down, but their kids keep going up. And so this is a hard dance to walk through. You know, if you get stressed as a parent and you want to jump in and take more control, but oh boy, um, things can go south in a hurry that way.
0: Yeah. I can appreciate that. I'm not generally a helicopter mom. I'm pretty type B about things, but I definitely feel better like doing some research or making a spreadsheet or mm-hmm. being like, oh, hey, I know you're mm-hmm. interested in this school. I took the liberty of writing down these 80 things about it for you because it <laughs> does help me feel like not so. You know, just like... light level touch points, <laughs>
1: nothing big, just 80 points. And, yeah.
0: you know, it's interesting. I want to go back to your point about it being kind of harder to get in, like the Stanford example. Mm-hmm. I still remember the one kid, congrats, Steve Tannen. You're doing great today. And he went to Stanford from our high school mm-hmm. and it was the first time I think I graduated around when you did, that Stanford had actually surpassed Harvard as the number one school. Mm -hmm. And to think that that was still a 22% acceptance. And I'm trying to figure out, are more kids applying to college? I mean, I kind of have this theory that has to do with the common app allows people to just easily apply to more schools. The SAT optional is changing things. What's your expert understanding about why it's so hard and unpredictable? So
1: there's a bunch of things in there. One, I I would highly recommend reading the book, Who Gets In And Why by Jeff Salingo. Mm-hmm. who is, you know, editor of the Chronicle of Higher Education, where he was an embedded reporter through the whole mission cycle for three universities, for Emory, Wake, Forest, and I believe University of Washington. I read the book, but I think that's it. And just watch what happened. And the, the whole process, again, of colleges trying to get as many people to apply. And it's a great read. There's also, if you want a kind of a shorter distillation, this is actually ways back. It was 2005, a piece by James Fallows for the Atlantic called New College Chaos. And it talks about the common app, you know, about computers, about marketing process, by college, all these things are designed to get as many people to apply. And so it makes it just incredibly frothy, incredibly unpredictable. The test optional movement that really, you know, kind of dropped everywhere with COVID Mm. in some cases, you know, created like a 40% increase in the number of applications. Now, what's curious though, is that this experience of colleges being nearly impossible to get into is actually a very, very small slice of the college process. We're talking, you know, at best a few hundred schools where there are a few thousand schools where it's not not open admissions, but it's not that far off from that where certainly most people who apply get in. And so Jeff talks about in his book that, you know, if, if I'm thinking about a school and I float it by my buddy, listen, what do you think about this? And you're like, Hmm, who even goes there? I cross that off the list. Everybody wants to date the same person, wear the same clothes and go to the same college because the kids have this kind of echo chamber as well. Mm-hmm. They don't have great access to information about what the process is really like, about what colleges are really like. And so the same thing is to kind of follow the herd, even if they're all kind of being led to slaughter because you know most of them aren't gonna get in there. And so it's really silly. And the other thing, when I was talking with my colleague, Katie Dunn is this great college counselor and she was talking with a kid, super academic, really successful. And air quotes, only got into Ohio State. And she said, the girl's super excited about it. But one of the things that she experiences is that people keep saying, you know, I thought you would get to a better school than that.
0: Ah, what? That's a great school. Right?
1: And Katie very wisely said, she said, I can imagine that you feel the people who are thinking that, like you should have gone off to Princeton or something. But what people who know you will think is, wow, I didn't realize Ohio State is that good, that someone of your caliber is going there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's like, you know, we, we used to think, you know, you're Harvard material. And so people who 25 years ago would have gone to Harvard, they go a half step down and a half step down and a half step down. You know, when I first started doing test prep to go to the University of Maryland, if you had a GPA of 3.0, maybe and over a thousand, pretty much going to go to Maryland. And now 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 it's hundreds of points better. Mm-hmm. And really what this is, is that all of these schools downstream, for lack of a better word, have become a lot of kids doing great. And so the most selective, the most rejected colleges, let's be honest, are harder to get into. But it's also the case that those incredible students who have every right to be at Yale or Harvard or Princeton are someplace else. And the academic environment at these other schools where they are keep getting better and better and better. So it feels painful, but it actually means we have so many great colleges where you can get a great education.
0: Well, I think that's a great perspective. And I love... The point that we, the parents, need to reassess that what was considered maybe an okay college when we were younger may be a phenomenal, difficult college now. And there's like that bumper sticker factor you mentioned. Mm -hmm. We had Betsy Cadel on last year, who's an old friend and used to work for our site, but she's now running a company called College Essay Helpers. So she's involved Mm -hmm. with this. And she talked a lot about not being lured in by that bumper sticker. You need to live this environment for four years and that it's not about saying, I went here. It's about what did you actually get out of it? And I'm just wondering your take on that. Like, how do you know if a school is a good fit for you? And by the way, Harvard is not a good fit for everybody.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's a great point. I mean, the, the point that we make in our book is that the ideal learning environment is one where people feel challenged but they don't feel threatened.
0: That's excellent. You know, I have
1: kids who i worked with whose families are just stupendous wealth and power and influence. And they're able to pull all the levers as it were and get their kids in. I still remember this kid who went off to an Ivy League school and I thought, oh my gosh, if you graduate, if you graduate, which I did not have great confidence, if you graduate, you will be as close to the bottom of the heap as you can be. Because when I <laughs> when I look at some kids who get into colleges because of these connections and people mm-hmm. who do it on their own and you think, oh my gosh, you're bringing a knife to a gunfight. The, the ideal learning environment is one where it's challenging because if you're not being challenged, I mean, it's a waste of your time and, and all those tuition dollars. But if you feel overwhelmed all the time, I mean, it's so terrible. I mean, certainly we're so worried about the incidence of anxiety and depression and mental exhaustion that we see kids at you know, kind of all sorts of universities, but also, and this is important where that level of challenges and where that level of threat is, those could be on different axes. Like maybe, you know, the axes that you need academically and the one that you need socially could be kind of different. Like, mm-hmm. so my daughter who's graduated, is heading off to an uh, extra Champlain college. It's a tiny little of our school in Burlington, Vermont. I honestly had never, yeah. heard, I had not heard about it. I'm a test prep guy in the college. I'm like, huh, well, she uh, has this very technical mind and was kind of researching specific programs. And there were a handful of schools that she identified. And I couldn't help myself. Have you ever thought about this college and that college? She's like, dad, these are the programs they want to do. Either they don't have it or they do have it. It's no better socially than this one that I want to Mm. do. And I asked twice. I twice floated at other schools. Maybe she'd want to look at. And she repeated to her credit, this is what I have researched. I mean, she's really good research. This is what I know that I want. And I've done the research and I've looked and here's where I want to go. And I thought, well, doggone it. Aren't you right about that? Because for her, it's incredible brain that she was you know, lucky enough to just, there we go. Socially, she doesn't want to be at a place that's like super, super driven. That's not, that's not how she's wired. Right. So she kind of needs, she wants this higher challenge academically, but lower challenge or lower threat socially. Right.
0: And I know that there's some sites that help you pick, like they, ask you really pointed questions. Do you care about a Greek system? Do you prefer a big school or a small school? Do you want to be in a city or near a city? Do you want internship opportunities? Do you care about religion? Do you care about pride? You know, things like that. Yeah. one of the things I asked her was about community and collaboration versus competition. And some people thrive in competitive environments. And my stepdaughter was like, I want a community. I want people that support each other. I don't want to feel like they're my competition. And she got into like a lot of great schools, but it really guided her choice. And I thought that was a really lovely way to look at it. Like she was thinking beyond the name, even though it's a great school yeah, yeah. and what kind of environment it would provide. So where do you start with all this? I think it's overwhelming to parents. And by the way, We went on a college tour where there were sophomores and I was like, can you get the heck off this tour and like make space for the seniors who need to be here? So what's realistic? Like, when should you start thinking about this and what should you start thinking about when? Well,
1: you know, it depends, right? So there's a group here in D.C. that works with basically black kids at all the independent schools. And so they had a big college fair thing with all these folks. I and mean, we work with them for some prep. So I was there with a colleague who's a college counselor, Maurice, who's African American, who's a black guy. And I heard a bunch of people ask that question. And he gave a different answer than the one that I normally gave. Mm. And I'll give his answer and my answer. And he said if you're a kid of color, if you're a black kid, it's a really good idea to just go as early as you can, principally so that you can go places and realize that these are spaces for black students too. Mm. Right. Because oftentimes the message, depending on who you are, what's Identities, what your experience has been, you may have gotten a drip feed that these are not places for you. And particularly if you're tied in kind of being an under resourced family, we have a real concern with college admissions of undermatch of really bright kids, right? Who can be thriving at the highest level academically. But if they feel again threatened, like, do I belong here? Mm-hmm. They go to a school that's not as challenging as is probably appropriate for them because they don't feel psychologically safe there, right. And yeah. so going early to look at these places and these are spaces for us too, right. In our book, what do you say? We talk about expectations, The tale of two sweatshirts. One story, we were at an independent school down in Seattle, and the counselor there was talking about the pressure and saying they had the sweatshirt day. You see these kids like in first and second grade walking around with Stanford, Yale, Princeton today. And statistically, it's not going to happen. But if you have this drip feed of they're supposed to, they're expected to go there, that's not really helpful. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, there's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Ron Suskind, who wrote a book called Hope in the Unseen, right? And he talks about the kid from Baltimore, right? You know, under-resourced black family, every headwind you could have growing up in Baltimore. And- his mom bought her son when he was like five, a Harvard sweatshirt. And basically the message is, you're at Harvard too, because she knew they're just going to get all these messages that people, air quotes, like you don't. So that was what Marie said, which I thought was really, really wise. And again, that depends on how you experience the world. I tend to work with families who are, from my perspective, too intense, too moving forward. And I don't want high school to be approached as or cast as a four-year addition for college.
0: Oh, bless you.
1: <laughs> it is a t- Terrible message, because really, we should think about high school as four years of young people developing themselves, figuring out who they are, who do they want to be, what are they like, and digging in. You know, when we talk about admissions, colleges want people who are authentic, meaning they're doing stuff that actually matters to them, because if it actually matters to them, they're not going to stop as soon as they just get, oh, I got into college, I can drop this, I don't have to do that anymore. You know, and Jeff Selingo has another book about there's life after college, I think is the name of it. He makes the point that all the literature shows it. Turns out it's not where you go to college, but it's what you do when you get there. And so, you know, do you find a mentor? Yes. Do you do some work that transcends two semesters, all this kind of stuff? And if we think of high school as so transactional, I do the work, I get there, I do the work, I get there. It's a lousy way to wire brains to see life as opposed to. How can I help? What do I like to do? What does success feel like to me? What's meaningful to me? So to your question about when to start, I think it depends on the kid. You know, when you start hearing chatter about college, like a lot of times kids will take the PSAT and it starts conversations mm-hmm. and from my perspective, you can very gently say, you know, hey, would you want to go by and look at a college or we're going to vacation? Do you want to just stroll around or you go to Penn State, go to the cream break? You know, that's the program where Ben and Jerry learned to make ice cream. If you're going to be an ice cream maker, you go to Penn State, right? I took my son, I think in sophomore year, to Georgetown University because we're about half a mile from there. And we went around and we did the tour and did the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you think? And he's like, great place. Not enough trees. And <laughs> if, if, you, if you've not been to Georgetown, it's sort of on top of a hill and it's beautiful. Yeah. And they have this great big quad and these trees that look like they're 400 year old. And they're beautiful, but not very many of them, right? So my kid's in school in Vermont. Yeah. More trees, look, right?
0: my brother went to school at GW and loved it. Stayed, hasn't come back. Yep. Doesn't care about the trees. The <laughs> other advice that
1: I'll give you if or when you go to look at colleges is it's worth going purposely to places you think you will like and purposely places you think you won't like. Mm. To confirm, right? Because yeah. it's, it's so based on stereotypes. And go to big and go small and go urban and this and this and this and the other thing. My team, who actually are college counselors, have these little college visiting cars. And so it's all these different things about these programs of diversity. Da, 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 da. But on the back of it, there's a list that says pros and cons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, knowing why you like a place and why you don't like a place, those are incredibly useful, right? And you know, oh my gosh, it's way too preppy. Oh my gosh, they're not preppy enough. I say to every kid, I say, you're going to go someplace and be like, no. <laughs> and your mom or your dad will ask some. Really irritating question, like, well, why don't you like it? Which sounds like a question, but to you feels like an accusation with a question mark in it, right? But here's the deal trying to put your finger on why, ooh, no, is so useful. Yeah. Because when you take your interest, academic, and your grades, and then three things you've liked and three things you don't like to an experienced college counselor, you go, I understand what you're looking for now. And they can rattle off the schools that are based on that. So start it early, but it should be when kids feel curious about this. If it's parent-driven, I, I long ago swore off ever doing test prep with ninth graders. I always had these mm-hmm. parents say, oh, you gosh. know, we're just, we're,
0: we're just no. trying to
1: start early. But we want to make it low stress. And it was the worst because it gave them the message. Honestly, I'm so worried about you. But also it's not in the kid's zeitgeist. So why don't you just sit down and start talking about a 401k plan. <laughs> start college when kids are curious about college. I
0: love that. And I'll give you a story when my daughter was at the beginning of her junior year. So this year, she's just a rising senior now. And at the beginning of the year, all the parents started talking about college and we're setting up tours and we're looking here, we're looking here, which is great. Um, There's also a lot of like first year to be college kids in her school. They'll be the first in their family. So Mm -hmm. they're thinking about early. So it's not just like high pressure parents. I think there's like a lot of reasons they were thinking about it. And so then I started feeling a little behind the curve and I was like, oh gosh, like should we be? And she said to me, you know what, mom, I lost two years to the pandemic. I haven't even been a high school kid yet. This started the end of my freshman year. I didn't even get two years to be in high school. And now here I'm Mm. thinking about college. Can I just not do this yet? I really had to take a breath and be like, okay and listen to her and she just wasn't ready. And then just something clicked in January, you know, at the second semester where she was like suddenly asking about college stuff and asking about essays and she showed the interest. And I thought that was helpful. Like she needed time to just be 16 and not be mm. a rising freshman in college. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I love that she could think about that so clearly and that you could hear that. Yeah, and
0: to tell me I was wrong. Like I thought that was great right. <laughs> <I> was <remember laughs> for being like, no, you're wrong. I'm not ready. I can't do this. I was Yep, my
1: daughter's straightened out her dad.
0: Exactly. Because in a
1: perfect world, you know, this college admissions process, we should have kids be driving it more Mm. with parents to help and, you know, give the credit card or whatever. I mean, yes, it's parents' money, but it's the next four years of our kids developing. And they should go and do the research. They should scout up and setting up a tour, signing up for a tour, sign up, you know, interview. These are the same kind of skills that you would use for like, oh, I don't know, researching a company, setting up an interview, you know, applying, you know, for us as parents to do, things for kids that they can do for themselves. They may need help. Yeah. It's a terrible injustice.
0: Oh, and I'm guilty. I'm definitely guilty of like doing some things that she could probably do herself. But I have to ask you, do you feel like maybe it's just my kids? Do you feel like this generation is uncomfortable with those kinds of things?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Two things. I mean, one, we should remind ourselves that COVID has been two years of avoiding, mm. avoiding new situations, avoiding new people, avoiding, avoiding, avoiding it because that's felt like the safest thing to do. Mm-hmm. The challenge is, from a stress perspective, you can get locked into that behavior, and so the classic treatment for people who have anxieties is cognitive behavioral therapy with exposure therapy, mm-hmm. and so it's so much easier to think, you know, well, let mom do it, let dad do it. And kids can often, when they're anxious, outsource these things to their parents or other caregivers to let them take on for it. And that feels better in the short term. And you don't have to sit there and watch your daughter be stressed. But the challenge is short term, they feel better long time. It actually makes it worse. There's a wonderful guy named Ellie Leibowitz who created this program called Space and a supportive parenting of anxious childhood emotions. And it makes the point that when a child is anxious, very quickly, the parents get sucked into making accommodations.
0: (sighs) You taught me that in our last interview. Don't fix it just listen. Yep.
1: And so, yeah, we either get roped into doing things for kids or reassuring them ad nauseum. And his point, he said, what we want to do is gently withdraw those and things. I'm not going to make a call for you that you can make for yourself, but we do it with support, which simply is saying you validate it and you offer comments. Like, Look, kiddo, I, I know it's kind of scary for you to talk to people. I and mean, that makes sense. You haven't talked to anyone for two years, you know, calling people on the phone. Yeah, that is. I, mean, I always get pretty nervous about that too. It makes sense that you feel that way. And I'm confident that that nervousness that you feel is something that you can tolerate.
0: I think that's wonderful. And look, that's the first hurdle. Like once they're off to college, you're not going to be the one setting up meetings with their professors. You're not going to be the one picking their courses. Like they're going to have to do it. There
1: are parents who do this. I mean, this is certainly when you talk with people. Oh God, really? Oh you don't even know the half of it. When you talk with administrators at colleges and universities, I mean, when my
0: son- The parents him, are calling to get the grades changed? When
1: my kid has <laughs> an orientation to the school, it was all these parents from the year before. And then one of them said, here's the name for the dean of students if you need to reach out to the dean. I'm thinking the assumption that already we as parents to first year students would be calling the deans rather than having our kids reach out to the dean. I mean, it's wrong-headed.
0: Yeah. Well, high school is good for parents as well to teach us how to behave when our kids go to college so we can wean <laughs> off of solving problems for them. And I know that could be really tough. So listen, let's talk about testing a little more, seeing as how sure. site prep matters. is
1: Everybody's favorite thing. Yep. Yes.
0: All <laughs> kinds of fun stuff around testing. So the SAT,
1: the ACT, and other four-letter words.
0: I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> you should be a podcaster and an author. <laughs> <laughs> if only I had an organization
1: organizational wherewithal. So, anyway, your question.
0: Yeah. So first, I'm wondering... How important do you think SATs or ACTs are right now?
1: Less, for sure. You know, my colleague Katie's the counselor said you know, makes the point that generally if people can do well on scores, it helps them, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's just another way of showing strength. But where in the past for many schools, there really was not a path forward without scores, there very much is the path forward with scores. Mm-hmm. The way that I frame this up is that it's something that kids very much may want to do, but it's not something that they have to do. And- I love that approach because most mental health is changing thinking from I have to thinking to I want to thinking. Mm. Nobody has to go to Princeton. You may want like to the bottom of your toes to want to go to Princeton and and have at it. I mean, it's a great place and you look fabulous and orange. (laughs) (laughs) Rock on, right?
0: Very charming, very charming. But it simply
1: cannot be the case that you have to. There's no evidence, you know, that the world will stop tomorrow. It's just not the case. The first book that I wrote was called Conquering the SAT, How to Help Teens Overcome the Pressure and Success seed. I spend way too much time reading about and thinking about how stress affects performance and motivation. Mm. And so there's this thing called the Yerkes-Dodson Curve. And we should feel some butterflies before a test, before a soccer match, before talking to someone we think is cute because it helps us focus and and it motivates us, right? But too much stress, performance goes up and then performance falls apart Mm. if the stress is really high. And so a lot of the work that I do is trying to reduce the perceived threat, the perceived stress of things. Because for a lot of kids, well, for people, general the major manifestation of anxiety is avoidance. So we avoid the thing that we're afraid of. I was talking to this young woman and she said the test hadn't gone. that well. So I started talking about the importance of the practice tests and how that kind of inoculates against in stress. Did you get a chance to take a practice test? And she was like, I did, but I took it at 12 midnight. And I said, well, you're not going to take the test for real at that. So that might be the time, but wait, 12 midnight, the night before the SAT? Yep. So she took a test from 12 to 3 a.m., right? And then got up at 7 to go and take the real test. That's not a recipe for success. But it also suggests to me that she's incredibly stressed about this because often people procrastinate because of ADHD and other things, Mm -hmm. but also because they put it up because they're so anxious. For me, knowing that these tests are an opportunity to show something, whatever these things show, but knowing that you don't have to is super helpful because then parents don't have to be stressed, whipped up about it. Kids don't have to be and actually most. Most people, particularly kids who are bright but anxious about these things, they perform better when we tell them that the tests matter. Less.
0: Yes. Plus, I mean, there are a lot of facts that speak to that. Like the fact that you can super score tests now, which is something mm-hmm. I only learned about recently, which means mm-hmm. if you take it three times, you can take your mm-hmm. best math score and then you can take your best verbal score or reading score yep. and submit those and you get your best scores out to people. God, I wish I had that one. It makes it like I tell kids, it makes it like home
1: run derby, right? You just swing for the fences, like and you either knock it over and go, woohoo, or you go, Well, I guess I need another at that.
0: Right. And so I found my daughter taking it the second time. She was much Stress, she knew what to expect, and also the first one I was like, Look, if you don't do well, you don't submit the like, let's not get crazy about it. Love it, but that said, you know, the prep obviously very big business can be a little controversial. Yep. There's a lot of online resources now, like Khan Academy. And so, mm-hmm. what kind of kid do you think needs that extra boost or something additional from a service like yours that they can't get from free services online? Well. <laughs> I know. It not, depends. Know. <laughs> it depends what you need. Your elevator right? pitch. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, and I'm not big on selling myself. I'm, I'm big on figuring out what a kid needs and, and giving them the help that they need. The way that I've always thought about standardized tests, and it's really, you it can apply this to anything, it apply this to sports or school or what have you. There's knowledge there's skills applying that knowledge in a prescribed way or the useful way, and then there's emotion, both the motivation and stress. So if all you lack is information, oh, that's what the Pythagorean theorem is. Oh, that's how logarithms work. The, you know, that's the rules of semicolons and commas or whatever. If all you lack is information, well, a book will do it. Khan Academy will do it. You can spend nothing. You can spend fifteen dollars, right? If it becomes an issue of skills of taking this knowledge but applying it in ways that the test wants, that's when Princeton Review is going to offer you know test tricks, for lack of a better description, ways that mm-hmm. Khan Academy might not, right? Where it gets more complicated is if you need someone to actually look at how you're missing. Look, you could learn to play tennis from a video or a book, I suppose, right? Mm. But it's going to be a whole lot better if you play with someone who's really experienced and go, no, 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 you're back whatever tennis coaches do, right? There are a million ways to hit the ball badly. Anybody can tell me that I hit it in the net. I know that I hit it in the net. Someone who's really experienced say, your racket preparation isn't good, your elbow's wrong, whatever mm-hmm. you're doing, right? And you really kind of pay attention to what's going on there sometimes that can be done i have a colleague here who runs a really good class called capital educators it's a great program great instruction is a really good educator but oftentimes after people have taken his class he may send them over to me saying you know probably a couple hours because we're trying to tune something up there one-on-one becomes more useful in my experience if you're really trying to get kids to be more motivated, particularly if there's anxiety. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. so in a class of 60 people, raise your hand if you kind of get afraid of math on the SAT. I mean, it's hard to have those conversations, right? Easier mm-hmm. to do those things one-on-one. ACT, the big competitor of the SAT, actually did a study where they looked at test prep and found what was successful. And the most successful thing that they found was one-on-one tutoring, probably for these, what I've articulated reasons I've, you know, I haven't even thought of, as well as what people thought about the level of tutoring. Some of the kids are probably good, you know, assessors of what was a good or is net a complete dope. But also, and this is really fun, there's a specific gene called the Compt gene, the methyltransferase gene. I think I got that close to right. That regulates how the prefrontal cortex, all those executive functions, how the prefrontal cortex metabolizes dopamine. So dopamine is this neurotransmitter, right? So to think clearly, we have to have the right mix of chemicals in our brain, right? A little bit of stress, but a little bit of excitement. We're not enough. We have a problem too much and we have a problem. So there's this wonderful piece in the New York times years ago where they coined the term warriors versus warriors. Mm. And it was simply the case that people who had a slow acting allele, meaning the dopamine came in and they were motivated. They only need a little bit of to get on this versus warriors who needed a lot before they, okay, fine, I'll get up and go, you know, go into the burning building. What happened was these steaming IQ differences that were born in the lab when it was low stress disappeared under pressure. And so this is where you see kids who have all A's and they practice at 1400 and then they take the day of the test and you got 11, 15. You're like, wait, I don't understand. How could that possibly be? Uh-huh. Because the test may not change, but your subjective experience in the test affects how you think. And the first book that I wrote, this concrete the SAT, I described being 28 local public high school, taking the test shoulder to shoulder with teenagers. It is as awkward as you imagine. And I'm sort of eavesdropping I'm saying, what are they thinking? What's going through their heads? I wonder if they're stressed. And for no particular reason, I checked my own pulse and it was 140 beats a minute.
0: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Now I have very few identified My wife can attest to that if you need, you know, but I've always been good at standardized tests. And at that point, I've been a professional tutor for five years. And I'm like, this is unexpected. Two things. One, this Yerkes-Dodson curve, a performance curve. I'm a person who performs really well. Under high pressure. It's just the way that I work. I mean, I'm pretty useless when things are dull because I'm like, eh, ah, whatever. <laughs> but also, you know, it took me about 10 years before I learned more that some of what was going on, there may not have been me. It may have been everybody else in the room with me. Because we've talked about, we talked with you before, Liz, mm-hmm. that emotions are contagious. So if your kid who's not normally anxious is in a room full of stressed out other teens, If your kid is socially attuned, they're going to pick that up and it's going to affect how they think as well.
0: Plus there's other conditions. I mean, the first time my daughter, she was in a giant gym. She said it was incredibly hot. They were in those teeny desks where there's actually no space to lay out your stuff and do work. And because it was during a school day, they had the bell schedule happening. So they were getting bells every 30 minutes throughout it. I'm looking at your face right now. Your head is on your desk. It's the
1: worst. Well, there's there's a a thing in one of our books to talk about research done, just one small piece to the bell schedule. There's a piece. Um, Turn off the
0: bells for a day, please. Michigan
1: State (laughs) University did research with the Department of Defense. and They put people with a task on a computer and then intermittently interrupted them with a 2.8 second interruption, which is pretty much just the time for bell or, you know, a text to pop up on your phone and then watch their performance. Their error rate doubled doubled. People had no idea that it affected them at all. They didn't realize it. So yeah, all, you know, the person next to you coughing, someone drops a calculator, a kid who's tapping his toes. If there are 14 of us in a classroom, Okay. But if there are 140 of us in a gym, then when I cough, I don't screw up 13 people. I screw up 139 other people.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> we could do a whole thing on whether or not we should have tests. I mean, you know, it always comes back to testing your ability to take the test. Yeah, <laughs> And there's a lot of other factors besides how smart you are, how much you've studied and I actually find that reassuring. And yeah. I really love that there's a lot of test optional schools now, and they really mean it. Mm-hmm. We had visited one school, like prestigious school, and they said it's test optional and we're really going to keep it that way because we've realized like a Three-hour test doesn't make or break who you are and what kind of student you'll be. On the other hand, as you said, seventy-one thousand kids applied to Northeastern this past year, and so it makes it harder for them, I think, to figure out who to look at. Right.
1: Well, I think that's right. And the other thing is that if you go back to the same, you know, kind of Leo that, that Comte gene, there are people who, air quotes, overperform in school and underperform on tests because mm-hmm. of just how their brains are wired. There are also people who overperform on high-stakes situations, right? Yeah. And so they're kids who just they just they can't care enough about. Friggin worksheets to do the work on a daily basis mm-hmm. to show kind of what they're most capable of. And the reality is that we want a mix of both people. You want a group of people who under the highest pressure perform at the highest possible level, but you don't, you know, I <laughs> sort of joke about, you know, there are people who are kind of like, what's the worst that could happen kind of personality. That's me. Right. And I seem intent and always freaking out. And there are people who are like, I know exactly what's going to happen and I'm going to work against that. You know, my wife and I have this balance. And so to me, it makes sense that these tests are optional. If they somehow show your math ability and waste. I have kids who get A's on every test in school, mm-hmm. but they have C average because they don't do their homework. Mm-hmm. Well wait a second. If they can get an A on the test and they've proved mastery, why do they have to do the homework? That's silly. Oh
0: yeah. That's gonna be the next episode we have also is going to be the pitfalls of homework and why we don't need it.
1: You know? <laughs> and so and to me it makes a ton of sense that those scores are optional because yeah. lacrosse is optional, ballet is optional, debate team is optional. Like why should the test be required? You know, if you were a terrible GPA your freshman year, and you're working your way up and say, look, I've got three APs where I got fives on them. Mm -hmm. There's a place for this. And hopefully admissions people are using all the information wisely to see what the best is in each kid.
0: I love that. That's maybe the good thing about test optional is that there's so many other things that help you tell your story. There's an essay and there's recommendations and there's what you've done with your free time and there's how you look at the world and express that in supplemental essays. Mm -hmm. It's a lot, but I think also you've given me some encouragement that not everything hinges on any one thing. Yeah, I
1: think that's right. You know, there's the wonder Wonderful research, what's called the orchid dandelion hypothesis, right? Mm. Uh, Doug Boyce and company, and basically the idea that most of us, most of us are really dandelions, and we can do great in the middle of your lawn, in the crack on the sidewalk. There are just scores and scores and scores of colleges where we would do great. We may want one more than the other, but there are very few kids who they need the perfect place, and without that, they fall apart. And these tend to be people who are highly, highly sensitive to context, mm. and so that's where they need that perfect balance of high challenge but low threat. Generally, I would say the people who need to be at a school like that, it's not going to be the most highly rejected places where it's full of stress because these tend to be people who are more sensitive to stress. And so they want to go someplace with really nerdy kids who aren't a bunch of, you know, gunners.
0: Mm. Well, I want to thank you, first of all, for introducing the expression highly rejecting. Is that it? Highly rejected.
1: I got to be Highly rejected
0: instead of highly selective.
1: <laughs> all credit to a guy named Akil Bellow. He's a really interesting guy. He's very much worth following on Twitter. He works for Fair Test. Oh,
0: yeah. I've Follow Fair Test. Yep.
1: And so he's the senior director of advocacy and advancement at Fair Test. And it was funny, he had a great piece in Forbes when the new SAT came out. He's been doing this stuff uh, just as long as I have, if not longer. And his Forbes title was something like, New SAT, best SAT since the last new SAT.
0: Uh, <laughs> I love Oh, that. he's
1: great. So yeah, from what I know, he coined that term highly rejective colleges. And I think I he's, love it. he's I think he's spot on.
0: Amazing. Well, let me ask you one more really quick question before sure. we go on to cool picks of the week. Yeah. I'm hoping that you will confirm my view that for the most part, sophomores should not be taking tours in October. When seniors can't get onto the tours. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, no, that's exactly right. Thank you. Because, you know, maybe it was my colleague, Maurice Jackson, pointed out for kids who underrepresented, you know, but that's probably not the people who are there. If you're going to take tour, you can make the most out of it. There's so much research, you know, go online, you know, the colleges actually pay attention to stuff, you know, and research and show up with really good questions. You'll make more out of this. But yeah, not during senior year. I mean, just, you know, let's all be good citizens and make space for people for whom this is really, it matters a whole lot more more, right? Your turn will come your turn will come.
0: I like that. Thank you. Can you tell that that's like my pet peeve? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get on tours. I mean, if I can give one suggestion, if you're going to tour schools, this is a really good time to be signing up because uh, mm. you'd be surprised how quickly they fill, which kind of stinks, but yeah, that's how it is. So Ned, you are a wealth of information. First of all, everybody should visit prepmatters.com. It's just filled with incredible info and helpful resources beyond the tutoring and all the additional counseling that you offer. But also, you can find Ned at Ned Johnson on Twitter. He's a great follow. I love following you on Twitter. And on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and TikTok, he is everywhere you want to be. <laughs>
1: and probably some places you don't, but still, I'm there. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's time for... Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! And Ned, as you know, as our guest, mm-hmm. you get to go first.
1: Well, uh, we are in the middle of this... Beautiful period of DC weather. Uh, We usually get, I feel, about four days a year when it's like this, where we could pass for Northern California and it is sunny and dry. And it's just an 82 degree. It's just fantastic. My heart is very much already into summer mode. Um, So my big shout out right now to drinking Aperol Spritz and a book that I love, and I try to read it every other year called The Summer Book. It's Toby Johnson, who is a Swedish author writing about the grandmother and her granddaughter on an island uh, 100 years ago. And it is just beautiful. And it is good for the soul.
0: I love that. So an Aperol Spritz Mm -hmm. plus Summer book by Toby Johnson. The summer book. The summer book. Excellent. Thank you. That's a great pick. Well, it's interesting. We both kind of have warm weather on the brain, I guess, because Mm. I recently went to Mexico City on a business trip. I hadn't been there since I was a kid. My cool pick is Mexico City. It is an amazing place. Wow. Oh, I, I love it. I cannot wait to go back with my kids. And I don't feel that about every place I visited. It was my first out of the country trip since the pandemic. And it was like just joyous and happy. <laughs> first of all, they take COVID seriously. People wear masks. And I love that. But the shopping is fabulous. There's so many great restaurants, incredible bars, cool nightlife, like fun stuff for kids, great parks. It's so built up and it's so full of character. And it's not at all what I remembered from years and years ago. Wow. So I, I highly recommend Mexico City. It's so easy to get in and out. You don't need a visa and the dollar, I have to say, fantastic right now. A 15 minute Uber to the hotel was $2. Oh
1: my goodness. And
0: as someone who lives in New York City, you can't even walk out of your house without paying a $2 tax for breathing the air. So anyway, it's fabulous. And I honestly can't wait to go back. So that's my cool thing. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Huge thanks to our guest, Ned Johnson of Prep Matters and to our awesome engineer, John Bowen. Hey, if you've got a minute and can leave us a nice review, maybe even five-star review, we greatly appreciate your time by doing that. Also by subscribing, it really helps other parents like you find us and it makes us happy. You can also join us in our Spawned podcast community on Facebook or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram where Kristen and I tend to hang out a whole lot. on Pinterest also, but, uh, you know, not so much chat going on there. This is Liz. Kristen will be back next week. Have a great day. Bye.